Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 139 and this episode is with the Director of Coaching and Performance at Satanta College, Des Ryan. So it's great to finally get Des on the podcast. Um, he's someone that whenever I speak to anyone that's worked with Des, they have nothing but good words to say about him and every podcast or bit of content I've seen him come out with him involved has been absolutely quality as well. So it was great to have him on the podcast. We delved into loads of different content. We spoke about his background and career. We talked about the interview process. So from the interviewer's point of view, uh, what we do well as an interviewer, but also what we could do better. We also spoke about the interview process from the interviewee point of view. So people that are being interviewed and some some of the key things that sort of stand out or that have stand out previously when Des has been conducting interviews. We spoke about hiring and building a cohesive team. We also spoke about leading a department and also um, the debate around bringing up strengths or developing weaknesses. And we related it to coaches or practitioners. Um, Des also tackled some of the quick fire questions that we have at the end of the podcast too. So loads again to take away in this podcast. I appreciate all the feedback on recent podcasts, all the reviews that people have left recently. Just a quick reminder, if you haven't left us an iTunes review, please head over to iTunes, click the five stars and just leave us a short comment about the podcast. Once you've done it, screenshot it and send it over to mail at footballfitfed.com. And just as a thank you, we'll send over a free ebook, one of our ebooks. We'll get that over to you just as a thank you. But I'm going to keep this intro nice and short so we can delve into the podcast with Des Ryan. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 139. I'm delighted to welcome onto the podcast Des Ryan. Des, how's things? Ben, good, good form. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to the chat. And it's very kind of you to ask me on. So, so all good. Um, I'm in the middle of moving country and there's lots of boxes that side of the laptop. So, but I'm, I'm not letting the pressure get to me. It's just packing bags. So I have to, I have to keep calm and, and carry on, as you say, in England. Yeah, well, you, you said before the podcast that things have been a bit stressful. What we can't tell, your demeanour is cool, calm and collected. Yeah. So that's what that's what we like to see. All pressures for tyres, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, though, no, it's great to have you on the podcast. Um, I said to, just before we hit record, that I've listened to you on a number of different podcasts and I always take loads away from hearing you speak. So I really appreciate you coming on and I know the listeners will take plenty away from it as well. Um, I've not mentioned your your current role or the role that you're going to be going into. So Director of Coaching and Performance at Satanta College. Um, I'm sure a lot of people have followed your work at Arsenal recently as well. But do you want to just take us back? Let's do a little reflection on the career so far and what takes you up to the role at Satanta. I, I will. I'll, I'll be succinct, as they say. But there's a story in there as well. So I started straight out of college. Uh, rugby development officer and I looked after the fitness with the academies in Connacht rugby now I only did that for a year and I enjoyed coaching in schools and doing learning uh, my trade uh, with the fitness development of academy players and then purely through cutbacks at the time I got a job with the adult professional team now this is the time rugby was learning to be professional uh, Connacht was learning to be professional and we were all learning and I, I wasn't ready I won't lie uh, but I had a good mentor, Liam Hennessy, and he does what I do. He pushes you in the pool, uh, sees are you swimming, he'll help 
if you're not swimming. He'll have a chat after he pulls you out of the pool and then he pushes you back in the pool again. So lots of learning. I wasn't ready for it, but I learned quickly. I had a great mentor. He helped me through that first year and I, I, I enjoyed it. I thrived um, at, at, adult, at that adult level. I did it till about 2007 uh, and I did stints with the Irish national team helping out and I, I took the Ireland A team. So enjoyed that high level of adult sport. But around about 2006, seven, I was talking to Liam and going, I'd like to try something new. Um, it is getting a bit tedious, away match, home match. And some people are, are born to do that. And the likes of Philip Morrow and thrive at that and really excel like he, he does at Saracens. But for me, the adult player, no. I, I remembered back to the time I was with academy players. Only did a year, really liked it. And Liam uh, said to me, yeah, there's, there's a role coming up. Perfect for you, Des. Uh, in charge of the academies, in charge of the fitness education, the four provinces. But Des, you've got a lot to learn again. Uh, so for a year, he gave me a lot of uh, content to study on the academy player. Then I took the role, fitness education manager, and I got to line manage people. I got to go around the four provinces. I got to pull people together. We created an IRFU way of developing young players. Uh, really enjoyed that. And um, then around 2012, um, I met Colin Lewin, who you had on the, the podcast before, another mentor of mine. And he really saw the need in Arsenal to invest, develop, focus on young players in terms of athletic development. And a job came up. Um, we knew each other. Uh, it was an interview. Met Liam Brady. Went well. And, and I landed in that role. And I thoroughly enjoyed my time for the last eight and a half years in Arsenal. Um, uh, we achieved some really good things. There's some lots of good players around Europe in the first team, across all the leagues in England, that we've enjoyed developing, helping them. They did the, the performance themselves, but we supported them. Um, we give plenty of challenge and we give plenty of care. Um, and yeah, eight and a half years, an opportunity appeared in Ireland uh, with Liam Hennessy, the founder of Satanta College. And I jumped at it because I have a real grow, that's Irish for love, of education. Um, There's some fantastic projects with Satanta and their partners like World Rugby. We're doing a, a very good project with the GA, Be Ready to Play. Um, and there's some other uh, uh, partnerships developing as we speak and they're running masters uh, degrees all over the world uh, Cape Town um, India America London um, and Ireland of course and I have a big passion for helping uh, practitioners uh, be competent and confident at, at what they want to do to work in sport at all levels not just professional sport community uh, development uh, so I'm keen to share information, develop courses, develop content and work with national government bodies, work with associations to, yeah, get the most out of, out of sports development. And hopefully that's what we're going to do on the podcast today because we've got some topics to cover that will definitely um, help practitioners at any stage in their career. But one thing I was going to just, just pick you up on um, that you touched on there, and I've spoke about this to a few people, is practitioners going into roles, whether it's academy or first team, and perhaps feeling that they're not fully suited to working with that age group. And whether you think there's certain attributes that, whether you look at a coach and you think, oh yeah, they're going to be great working with academy ages, or they're not going to be great working with academy ages, they need to be working more first team. 
I suppose your advice maybe for practitioners getting into strength and conditioning, sports science, or maybe a, a bit of a loose end on who should I work with? Who do, who do I need to work with? What's, who's my target? Yeah, um, that's, that's an interesting career journey for people. So the way I look at it, you've got the child player and someone there really got to be comfortable in chaos, enjoy helping children have fun and creating environments where they can learn. Um, you've got the adolescent, where there needs to be rules and repercussions, still fun, uh, still enjoyment, but a bit of structure. Then you've got the um, young adult, and you've got to treat them like a young adult, and you've got to listen and build with them and contribute them and challenge them and support them. Um, and then you've got the performance end, the adult. Plenty of pressure, uh, plenty of man management skills um, needed. So I would envisage every, everybody's journey is different. And you, I think we're entering an age where you have career academy people. And there is the likes of myself that had a, has a good career in it. Um, you have the likes of Pawdy and Perry and Arsenal that have very senior roles um, working in academy. And there's, there's more, I think, to come in the industry in that area. Mm. So people used to be linear and think, I'll work with the 16s, 18s, 23s, first team. And the progression was linear in remuneration and, and type of contract and size of contract. Thankfully, the industry is shifting in a more non-linear way. So it's, it's easy for, for my likes of myself and Paddy and Purry, who have scratched that itch with the adult player, who figured out what it was like, did it, enjoyed it, and understood that we prefer working with the younger player. I can't speak for them, but that's that's from our conversations. That would be the, the gist of the story. Um, but other people like Sam Wilson in the academy, he was always focused on working with the first team. And he did that. He went from the 18s, 23s to the Arsenal first team and doing a great job there. And he really enjoys that first team. So, And then there's other people like Ivan Mukandi, who worked with the 18s, uh, worked with the 23s, and went to a more senior role with the 9s to, to 16s. And a more senior um, position. So very, very non-linear. And I think the, the path will become clear once the person has a good chat with their mentor or line manager. Um, um, those people, I had good detailed conversations twice a year on their journeys, how we as a club could support them on their journey, how we could create development opportunities to get to where they wanted to get and never tell the person the answer, never tell the person where they should go, but give them a sounding board, give them some stories of what it's like, give them some insights on what it could be like, and then they have to make up their decision on where they want to go on their career path. But thankfully, we're entering an age where there's options. And um, yeah, yeah, uh, everyone is, is, is different and everyone's journey is different. Yeah, and it, it's just great to get your um, opinion on that because I think it's important, isn't it? Like you said, it, it was very much linear a few years ago, but um, you see some amazing work being done at academy level and that's not to say it's not done at first team level as well, but um, you look at some coaching and you think if they leave the academy setting... Obviously, the first team could benefit, but the academy are losing such a great practitioner doing yeah. some great work that it's not to be discouraged to work at that level as well. Yeah, and um, you need 
experience. You need a bit of grey hair at academy. If it's all as young people, if there's high turnover, there isn't that relationship with the board. There isn't that relationship with the CEO. There isn't that relationship with the first team manager, the head of performance. There has to be um, some experience there to, to have an influence in those meetings, to have an influence at that board level, um, to gain respect of people at the board level. And it is there now. It's grown like like Will Abbott in, in, it's not, I can't just talk about Arsenal in Brighton, Matt Allen, we're not supposed to like people from Spurs, but he's a pretty nice guy <laughs> <laughs> and a very experienced guy. Um, so thankfully more and more experienced people are in academies and academies are way more complex. First team's easy. you got one team, there's a tongue in cheek here now. Uh, they're all, they're all fully matured. Um, there is one competition and cup competitions. Academy, they're all different stages of maturation. There's many, many teams from nines to 23s. Uh, they're they're um, at different stages of development, technical, tactical, psychosocially, um, and physically. Um, you, you've so much to deal with. And first team, you have to deal with one coach. Academy, mm-hmm. there's a coach at nines, tens, elevens, twelves, fourteens. Um, you've got to work with them. You've got to share the, the physical development framework with them. You've got to learn their coaching style and their coaching philosophy along with the club coaching philosophy and, and approach. So it's super complex. It's a real challenge. And hence, the, there should be senior people, experienced people, career academy people there. Yeah, definitely. And the next thing I wanted to touch on, a, a really important area, is the interview process. And looking at it from two sides, so from the interviewer's side, but also the interviewee side, and we'll start on the interviewer's side. Um, and just to get your opinion on what we do well, but then what we don't do so well and what we could improve on. Yeah, sure. And so first of all, for the interviewer, it's the most important decision you can make. So you should put more time in that than a lot of other things. And invariably, people don't. It may be the end of a season. It may be a quick turnover. It may be a quick decision, a quick internal decision. It may be a, a, a quick process. Shouldn't be. Should be lots of time, consideration, the most important decision you would make. Um, and there should be a fair process advertised. But uh, what I do is I contact the people I trust that are experienced and who's out there. Tell me some names. We're looking for this coach to fill this um, age group. Um, then I get a, an insight into who's out there. But then it's who applies. And I read every CV. Um, and sometimes uh, sports organizations, it goes to the HR, there's some sort of filtering service and it goes to the line manager. No, I read every CV because you should, mm. um, because you never know who could be there. And if they don't tick one box, they shouldn't be, pushed aside just because of that one box that isn't ticked. Um, and we did find some very good coaches that didn't do their UKCA yet, even though that's a requirement with ourselves, but we gave them a shot in the mm-hmm. interview and they, they impressed us. So reading every CV, uh, and, and it's quite fun, interesting reading CVs. I did get a CV once. It's, it's commonplace now. It wasn't my day to have a picture. And that, that does help. But there was one CV with a picture and there was a young man holding a bottle of Heineken in his picture. So <laughs> not the best idea. You know who you are. <laughs> Take it off. Don't, don't have that picture. Um, so um, and for me, uh, uh, 
CVs should be succinct. Name, qualifications, education, experience. That's what we look at. It's that's that's what you're looking for. Um, other parts are interesting, but two, three pages, not too long. Mm. Um, and depending on the position, of course, but that's that's easy to read. Um, they're the things we look at straight away, and they're the differentiators when when we are selected. So uh, then there's reading every CV. Then we've got a responsibility to um, involve people. It shouldn't be just my decision. It should be the department and relevant people in the department who could be working with this person, not just science and medicine, involving academy managers, coaches, other people in other disciplines when we're chatting through who we're going to interview, designing a, a, an interview process where, again, other people can be involved. Um, but the interview must be practical. It must be about the job. The questions must be specific. One, that you can give good quality feedback after the process. Two, that you can differentiate the people objectively as well as subjectively. So for example, um, we ask a question like, um, please present to us your, your approach to development player over long term. Um, and they do a presentation on that. And a, a coach should have an approach built on his or her experiences and, and, and qualifications. And then we dig deeper after the presentation. And it's tell me about the models, frameworks of long-term player development that you'd be aware of. Now, I'd expect people, if they wanted to work in an environment where we're developing child, adolescent, young adults, to have a, a great depth of knowledge. Because there's only so much out there. There's not a huge amount of, of papers. There's a good few. But... Honestly, 90% of the people we'd asked that question, and these are people who got the interview stage. So getting the interview stage in Arsenal out of maybe two, 300 applications would be people with a master's, UKCA, and two years coaching experience with some, some good practitioners. Mm -hmm. Often the answer still would be just, oh yeah, yeah, that paper with Rodri Lloyd and, and Oliver, is it? John, John Oliver, and barely getting the title of it. And somewhat mentioning the long-term athletic development model uh, with where is he from? Is he from Russia? And not even mentioning Istanbul and, and, and Hamilton. Um, whereas, what about the the Goblin model? What about Jan Korte? Uh, what about um, the Rocky Road um, model? Um, and let's critique them and let's compare them and let's say maybe what should be there to complement them and which fit best in a football academy, in your opinion. Uh, there isn't a right or wrong answer there. But the depth of conversation there is, is lacking a bit. Um, but after the interview, that's where I can give the feedback on, well, there's these other frameworks and models that you could talk about and you could compare and contrast and we'd expect the person to critique them and, and so on. So real depth of answers is, is needed. Um, and then um, an interviewer should give good practical questions like, I give this horrible question. Now I can I can say it now because I, I've left me role, and I'll come up <laughs> with other questions. But well, an example would be right. It's the end of the season. Suddenly, the under sixteen have qualified for the European final. One month later, so your season's been extended. Your coach has asked you for advice immediately. He wants to know what should we do, and uh, we've got four weeks to plan for. Now over to you. What do you say? Now that really challenges the. But it's a real life scenario. Mm -hmm. Okay, you've got to think about. It's the end of a season, a little bit of recovery. 
we got to still get work done week two, week three. We got to taper into the final. Um, we got a, a download week just after we finish. Um, we got to where do we put our extensive, intensive sessions? Do we do friendlies? Um, where what does our electric development look like? What does our speed look like? What days do they happen on? What's our focus? Um, should we continue with the review of the season? Should we do player progress meetings? Um, what type of opposition should we get? So all that is a horrible question, but it's going to happen and they mm. got to give a succinct answer and guidance to the coach. Um, so practical questions like that, practical question shown a video or, well, it's videos these days because of COVID, uh, but in real life, get a player, okay, do an Olympic lift. How can you help the player? And we see the person coaching, uh, getting the player to do a movement screen. Right, what's your thoughts on screen and movement? What is your um, ways of helping this player after watching them? And yeah, give them some, some activities there and see them interacting with a the player. Then uh, another horrible question we've asked in the past is, okay, you're doing a warm-up. It's outside. Suddenly, thunderstorm and snow and sleet and everything. You're inside. You're in the dome. You've only got two footballs and you've got 16 players. What do you do? And you, we'll give you five minutes to prepare. Because again, that's real-life scenario. So we've got to create uh, real-life coaching scenarios. That gives us objective um, feedback to select the person and to give uh, post-interview feedback to the person. And not enough people ask for feedback. It's yeah. normal in, in places like Australia, New Zealand, and so on. Uh, people are a bit hesitant to ask for it, but it's, it's a duty of the interviewer to give that feedback, to not say, oh, I didn't think you were a fit for here. Yeah. What does that mean? That doesn't mean anything. What does the person need to work on? How can you help them work on it? And I like to think um, I give detailed feedback and I actually send information to the people who get to the, the interview stage uh, to help with them. But I think that's what every interviewer should be doing um, is how I'd, I'd put it. Yeah, no, that, that's great. And then from the interviewee's point of view, what are some things that they might say, they might do that sort of capture you and, and, and that interests you and you think, oh, hang on a minute, this, this, is, um, this is impressive? Yeah, and, and the people that stand out are the people that have done plenty of hours coaching. So that's all I can say to people is get the hours of experience before interviews. When we put you in practical scenarios, we can see that you're comfortable coaching the lifts, coaching speed, coaching a warm-up. Um, you can easily talk about planning because you've done a lot of planning. So the hours of coaching is the thing that helps most. But dig deep into the information. There's too much sound bites. There's too much pictures. There's too much social media information on topics and not enough depth. Now that helps. That awakens us to it. But what I say, now go deeper into that information um, and have a long, detailed discussion on athletic development. Have a long, detailed discussion on the Olympic lifts. So yeah, some people do them. Some people don't. Me, um, it's pretty simple. If you're a strength and conditioner, you should be able to coach the lifts. Um, yes, there will be a proportion of players that won't be able to do the full lift, but they can do variations. Um, uh, but there's different schools of thoughts and different different approaches, which there should be. But still, if you're a conditioner, you should be able to do it. So um, have your techniques good, have your uh, knowledge of those lifts. What are the top down, bottom up, uh, UKCA uh, approach to it, American approach to it. How did you come about your coaching approach? Who influenced you? Uh, able to articulate things like that, conditioning on pitch, tactical periodization, 
uh, how you've done it before. What's your preferred week uh, for a team that is full-time, say, under 18s, Saturday to Saturday? Why did you come about that week? Why did you choose to do your intensive, extensive sessions on certain days? How do you prefer to condition a team? Is it through the game? Is it through the, an integrated approach? Is it through the game with top-ups? Um, really digging into the depths of the practical side of it. Speed, your influences. Where do you do... Uh, straight line speed where you do change of direction do you separate them do you do it together your rationale your approach to conditioning why you do it really good practical um answers which is all is based around practical hours of coaching um, and and being guided by by an experienced person along the way and is there anything that sort of stands out to you and it might be basic it might be a little bit more complex in, in terms of mistakes that people tend to make in an interview yeah, so none of us know it all. I don't. So humility is a great thing. But some people go to an interview and they, I must know this answer. Yeah. I've got to be able to, to answer this to the full deep depth. People who just go, well, this is what I'm aware of. Um, I may not be aware of this, but I'm always keen to learn more. Um, I haven't come across that. This is what I know. So a few people have done that, and that's a great uh, clue to me that that person's humble and uh, doesn't hasn't got false confidence um realizes what they do know what they don't know which takes maturity and and that does stand out and we do as a group in in arsenal Paddy Perry um uh, people in there in the conditioning uh, department we've a lot of time for we we like people to be mannerly we like people to be objective we like people to tell the truth so if we are looking for someone to join the team um, and that's for, for them now, I've, I've finished, uh, they're very helpful um, to, to have those attributes in the team. So when we see them come out in the interviews, so just someone being mannerly, because when I see that, I know, right, I'll have less fires to deal with. Yeah, There'll be less potential for someone clashing with someone. There'll be less potential for someone in operations or the office being upset because someone said something to someone. It was misinterpreted. If someone comes in and is, and is super mannerly, um, it, it makes life easier. It makes life things flow. People uh, want to help our department. People want to work with our department. Um, so, so, yeah, that does help when we see that. Yeah, definitely. And then there might be some listeners, hopefully there are some listeners that are um, hiring soon, going through that, that the interview process from the interviewer's perspective at their clubs. So in your experience, um, hiring the right people and creating a cohesive team that could be really effective across a season, what sort of um, advice would you give coaches that are in that scenario that are maybe hiring in the next few months? Yeah, you you mentioned to me about this question. So I, I took a few notes. I said I don't want to, to waste people's time. But um, I th think it stems back to leadership. Um, the person in that leadership position has to create that environment, has to create that team, has to create that cohesion. Um, so first of all, even stepping back a notch or two, is choosing your projects wisely. So I stepped into Arsenal because I knew Colin Newen was there and was for it and pushing it. He had the CEO, Ivan Gazidis, beside him pushing for it. Arsene Wenger was pushing for it. And I knew that was that was the right project. Similarly, the next project I'm going into, I know Satanta's grown. Ian Jeffries is joining it. Liam has founded it. There's good people there and good people I want to work with. And it's opportunity 
to grow. So choose your projects wisely. Create a diverse group. And I'm not just saying that because it's the politically correct thing to say. I've categorically seen that it, it, it improves. Uh, I don't want um, people that sound like this, look like this, um, acts like this. Uh, I've learned so much from hanging around and finding people that are different to me. Um, too often uh, in sports science, strength and conditioning, people are male, pale, middle class. Uh, we've got to mix it up. It's got to be diverse. It, um, and people with different skill sets, people with different experiences in work, people with different um, uh, personalities, people with... Uh, yeah, Diversity. And it's been well proven in, in business, in industry, that, that big companies are more successful the more diverse they are. Um, so, yeah, create a diverse group. Um, and then don't call people my staff. Mm. I don't think anyone's ever heard me say that. But sadly, it's said a lot. Um, it's our team. It's the science and medicine team. It's the conditioners, physios. Um, you're part of it. You're not their hierarchical boss going, my staff. Um, trying to create that team environment rather than hierarchical, um, talking to them like that. Um, giving people opportunity to develop. So I think a person I've, I've read a bit about lately is John Hume. You, you might know him, but he was one of the, he's passed away now, but he was one of the catalysts for the Good Friday Agreement in the North um, that created peace in Northern Ireland. And he said um, he never thought of being a leader. He taught very simply in terms of helping people. So my role as a head of department or, a, or a whatever it may be is to help people is how I look at it. Um, because another thing John said is uh, you can only be a leader if people want to follow you. Yeah. So again, you've got to help people. You've got to help people develop. You've got to create that environment where they are getting opportunities to develop. And when they get opportunities to develop, they're fulfilled. They want to be part of that team. They want to help the team be better. And it's not about the leader being the person that makes the decisive decisions, that makes that expert decision, that makes the decision for people. And um, no, it's about creating that environment where everybody um, contributes. So yeah, that's the next thing uh, that you create together. So like in Arsenal, there's the Arsenal approach of physical development. Um, it's not mine. It's the Arrow approach. We all created it. We all got into a room. We reviewed it every year. Um, there's a vision. There's a mission now with Per, the academy manager, uh, which is a really good thing to follow. Um, the mission is to create the most caring and challenging football academy in the world. And they're, they're pretty close. I'm looking forward to going back and visiting and, and learning some more and seeing how it progresses. But it's, it's, it's certainly heading that way to that mission. There's clear objectives. There's clear strategies. There's clear, clear KPIs. And we've all built that in the science and medicine team together. I didn't say these are the objectives. We, we, we built it together. And that creates that cohesion. And because it's not Des is telling me to do this, it's we've decided to do this. So we better do it. Um, and then PDRs, um, like appraisals, it's never has given me these objectives it's a long chat talking about what do you think your objective should be where should you improve in you're doing really well in these things what should be the top three objectives now so for the year so again it's created together um 
The other thing I'd suggest uh, to create that um, uh, department and teamwork is audit and review everything pretty much that you can. Fitness results, injury audits, successes, uh, failures, and every season is reviewed. Every quarter is reviewed in terms of fitness results and injury audits. And that creates good, healthy discussions. And once people are used to it, do it regularly, they know things are going well, but how can we be even better is the question. So it's okay to talk about those things that didn't go so well, because invariably the majority went well. And then it's a comfortable performance conversation on how we can be better. Um, and play the long game is how I put it for a person in a, in a senior position. Um, because people's memories are usually just six weeks. And we lost that match, we won that match, and he's got a little bit quicker lately. No, the board, the academy managers, the senior people in the club, they need to remember back 10 years, mm-hmm. five years, three years. And it's very hard to do that. So we've yeah. got to take pictures, do reports, uh, have videos, have um, comparisons in the draw, just fitness results, that long game. Uh, that takes a bit of work, but is, is well worth it. Um, and a, a, a senior person... Um, like myself, usually has to be the headmaster. So the team is there. They're working really hard, physios, nutritionists, conditioners. If there is a player and he's naughty uh, the second time or the third time, he should be sent to the headmaster's office to myself. And I treat them like Yonals or I give them rules and repercussions and clarity and I can be the, the bad guy. So that lets the conditioners and physios and nutritionists focusing on their job. Um, and they are they do instill discipline as well. Um, but if it happens more than once or yeah. twice, it, it, it may need to go to myself. And that's what us in senior positions should be doing. Um, and us in senior positions should also be the ones that ask the awkward questions. If there is something not as well as it should be, and it's maybe not our department, yeah, it's up to the likes of me to be asking those questions rather than the physios, conditioners, nutritionists who are busy working along there. And it may be difficult because it's an other department. And yeah, it's up to me to ask those awkward questions. Mm. Um, just before we give a very quick update on our online community, I just wanted to say as well that we are very close to getting some dates confirmed for our upcoming 2021 networking event. So the last year has obviously been challenging. We've not been able to run any events, but we are really looking forward to getting some events confirmed and released. So as soon as we've got those in the diary, I'll make sure they come out on the podcast um, and let you know where you can book onto those events as well. But if you aren't a member of our online community, we have an online platform that has numerous webinars and presentations available to watch on demand, including the latest webinar that we've posted from nutritionist Matt Jones, previously on um, previously been on the podcast a couple of times. Um, Matt is the nutritionist to Chelsea Ladies, to Brentford, as well as number, uh, a number of other clubs as well. And he's pro- uh, produced a brilliant webinar for us around football nutrition a periodized approach. So he goes into periodization of nutrition throughout a season. He covers some really important factors that we can take into consideration when planning out a player's nutrition. So you can watch that now on the community, as well as some of our latest um, webinars from Matt Atkin at Val Performance and Carlos Balsalabre, um, who delivered a webinar around mobile technology to monitor neuromuscular performance. And we have just released a few 
new partnerships. So uh, members of our community also get a discount on some of our partners' um, products as well. And we've got a brand new partnership with Rezzle, the VR company, um, who have teamed up with us to give our members discount on some of their services as well, as well as many others over on there as well. So if you want to be part of our community, go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab at the top, register there, and that will give you one month free on the community. After that free month, it's only £4.99 per month. You get access to all the current information that's on there, but also future webinars, future presentations when the network meetings start again, as well as future discounts from um, some products that we are going to be announcing very soon as well. So go and check it out, footballfitfed.com, click the community tab and sign up there. Here's part two of the podcast with Des Ryan. And that, again, takes the pressure off the team uh, and they can do what they're really good at. So I think that helps. I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, but I, I spoke about, yeah, creating a team, uh, helping them thrive, uh, creating togetherness and the responsibility of a leader to, to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's something we spoke about before uh, when we were talking about what we we're going to talk about on the podcast is leading a department and you've covered it great there because you got into detail on, on your approach and some really important factors. And the, the, the one that just jumps out for me that you actually spoke about earlier on in the podcast was getting a team together and ensuring it. And it ties in with when I was saying about certain coaches working at academy level, certain coaches working about first team level, but knowing those individuals and putting those plans in place for whatever they want to achieve, whether they want to, get to head of, head of the academy or whether they want to get to first team. It's really knowing in depth those individuals within that team, isn't it? Yeah, and, and it's not that I've, I've um, facilitated anyone or, or uh, sorry, that's not the right word. It's not that I've done it for people, but I like to sit back and enjoy just as much as I enjoy a player playing for the first team, playing for the country, um, science and medicine staff progressing. Yeah, and we've we've had four people progress up to the first team, nutrition, medical, physio, and conditioning. Um, there's some serious leaders in the academy now with Paulie Roach, Perry Short, Colin Blackburn, the physio, and there's a number of potential leaders with Ivan, Ian, Dom, uh, Jordan, on uh, Matthews only started with us recently. Very very talented conditioner, and our physios, uh, Chloe, Timmy, and and Zubair. Some really good people. And we've, we've people who are in the department working in Formula One, working in Man City, working in Premiership Rugby, working in Top 14 Rugby. Um, I just love seeing people develop. And it's them that got themselves there. It's them that figured out where they wanted to go. But a, a, a responsibility of a head of department is to help them develop, facilitate the CPD, um, um, and, and, yeah, help them get there. And if they're developing, the team is developing and the academy is developing and, and it, it works for everybody. An interesting question we got sent in is, um, and I want to relate this to coaches actually, because I think it ties in really nicely to this point, is whether we focus on building strengths or whether we focus on sort of bringing up weaknesses. And I think it will relate yeah. quite nicely to practitioners so if you take mm. into consideration some of the names that you've mentioned there obviously the, the these practitioners have got strengths that's the whole point that they a big part of why they've got the job and that they're hired but they'll all have areas that they can improve on 
what would be your approach with that? Are you going to focus more on building the strengths or bringing up the weaknesses? Or is that a bit of a one of those where you're going to focus on both? Good, good question. Yeah, because it's very similar with a player. Yeah, We can get over-focused on developing the areas for development. And maybe the super strength there is a player's speed and we should be just pushing that on, especially if we want them to play in the Premier League. And similarly, yeah, with um, science and medicine people. So I will say predominantly we have focused on um, the, the basics, as in usually everybody who enters the academy had UKCA, but basis became a requirement in the P. Now, you only needed, I think it was two people in the academy with basis, maybe the head of the department and the head of sports science. But I have to be conscious of, well, these people might want to progress this will facilitate them progress either within or outside of Arsenal. So we wanted a lot of people to get their basis done. So the UKCA basis, uh, a third level qualification is, is important. And, and most completed, had their master's complete when they joined us, but a few who didn't, we supported them in that. Um, and then there's people that may want to push on to a PhD. And we've one person doing that in the, in the department at the moment. And it's important for us to, to help the, and support with that. But then, yeah, there's the more practical uh, experiences. And once you get the accreditations done, and when you're talking about the people of the calibre that's in the department there in Arsenal Academy, no disrespect, though, but there's, there's not many courses. Mm. There's not many um, third-level qualifications because they've either them done or would they benefit from it? I'm not too sure. So then it headed towards, right, chairing meetings, um, presenting at a conference, doing a podcast. Um, like I recently had a, a, a chat, a PDR with one of the conditioners. I won't mention his name, but I was going, no, you've got to get out there. Mm. You've got to do a podcast. You've got to do an article review. You've got to do a, And it was, oh, God, it's too early for me. And I said, yeah. but you've just spent the last um, period of time working with a particular age group, and you came up with this. And you should share that with the people. And he was, oh, I suppose I could. So yeah, it's up to me to nudge people towards what they would benefit from. And then when they do a podcast, the confidence grows. Um, Because they're going to have to speak to, um, uh, say, an academy management team. Um, They're going to have to speak to the head coaches in the future. They're going to have to speak to to the scouts in the future. They're going to have to present. They're going to have to influence. They're going to have to educate. Um, and the more of those experiences, better for them to do their, their role. Um, and then there's other people um, that, that want to work on technical work, like speed. Uh, one of our coaches went off to Altus and spent a bit of time there. Um, others uh, worked with, spent a bit of time with other coaches. Um, Perry spent a bit of time with Tony Strudwick. And I think for people of their calibre, that's, that's where a lot of learning happens with peers, um, the real world, um, having that day or two with them shoulder to shoulder, asking practical questions, looking at practical content. Uh, we all think we're too busy to do it. And it's up to someone like myself, again, in that, that head position to facilitate it, to create the time for it, to remind people of it. And sometimes, sometimes I don't. I could have done a bit more the last year, but it was a funny all year. Um, but that's important. So, yeah, I probably 
if I reflect back, and we should always do that, my reflection from this is I probably did focus on the areas to improve and didn't focus on the strengths enough, just like we do with players sometimes. Mm. So, yeah, I, I could have homed in on, on the super strengths, um, like Pawdy with his athletic development. Um, that could have been driven on even further, like Parry with his planning. That could have been driven on a bit further. Um, and I won't go through every... every uh, met a person in the department but they do have super strength so yeah good question because that's made me reflect and that's what questions should do and I probably did focus on the areas to develop rather than the super strengths yeah yeah and I suppose it brings up the whole debate because we, we obviously I think there's loads of practitioners that come to mind with those super strengths in whatever mm. area it is but then it brings up the debate of the generalist and the specialist doesn't it and that's uh, and that we could probably do a whole other podcast on, oh, yeah. on that. <laughs> I'm just I'm just about to get. I'll be, I'll be brief, but an academy because it's all hands on deck because it's nine to sixteen, it's 180 players. I think we need to be generalists, and a generalist is a great place to start because I don't think you can be a specialist without being a generalist, and um, the generalists have the greatest influence because they're in with the coach, uh, they're in with operations, they're in with uh, the the medical team. Um, there is a place for specialists, yeah, and probably at the pointy end, maybe the adult side of it. But um, I think people with a good generalist background are more suited to head positions in the future and will become even better specialists in the future. But sorry, I'm going off on a tangent there. Oh, brilliant. Really good. Um, Des, I'm just going to put one question in because we've got sent a few questions in. Um, but I'm just going to pick one of them out just to get your opinion on it. It's a bit of a change of thought back on this bit, but someone sent in a question uh, saying, should a rugby union approach be used in Premier League, uh, be used with Premier League players for strength training? And then they also backed it up by sending me an extra message, basically saying that rugby players uh, are seen as very robust. And obviously we want to improve robustness with, with footballers and try and keep them on the pitch for longer and all the rest of it. So do you, do you think an approach that they use in rugby would work in football? No, no, because in rugby, you have to make players about 120 kgs to be a front row prop. So I don't think that'll go down too well. In, <laughs> <laughs> if we if we develop Bukayo Saka to be 120 kgs, that, would, that wouldn't be good. Um, so no, but a bit of tongue-in-cheek there now for myself. But um, athletic development, um, it's pretty much the same. We, 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 the fundamentals, we want to have good mobility stability in players. So we want to have mature level movement skills. We want to develop a good power in all areas of the force velocity curve. We want to develop speed and change direction. We want to have a good speed repeatability and endurance. And they are the same for Gaelic football, hurling, soccer as I call it um, and uh, rugby and they're the sports I've worked in yeah. but the principles and the fundamentals are very 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 similar now of course the way I, I summarise it rugby is 70% physical 30% uh, skills and football you turn it around 70% skills 30% um, physical terrible summary but uh, no, no. the gist of the differences and um, rugby, they have to have those physical attributes and that physicality has to be developed or they'll be in serious trouble on that pitch with people running at them at that pace and, and, and the tackle of what it is and the scrum, etc. Um, football, 
there are people that can survive without doing a huge amount of athletic development. They're out there. And so that shows the proportion of skill that's, that's important. But I think they won't thrive. And I think they won't have as long of a, a, a career. And I think the future of the game is highly athletic. And that foundation is needed at academy level. And it needs to be progressed at the adult level. And to play in the Premier League, you're getting the best players in the world. So you need to be, um, and the amount of matches, uh, you need to be athletically developed. So no, you can't copy and paste. I didn't. But the fundamentals were similar to what we did in Irish rugby and what we did in Arsenal Academy. Um, but yeah, different emphasis, different targets. Um, but again, if we go down a, another level, the principle of, of individuality. Mm. Um, every player is different in terms of their training age and their training history and their needs and demands of their position. So yeah, I'm going to take the easy cop out of the principle of individuality then below the sport um, needs and demands. Um, but no, a good question. We should chat about those things. And uh, people do say you need to be a, a specialist in football uh, to be a top football conditioner. Because I wasn't. Mm. And um, yes, I never played soccer. Um, I had to study a lot before I came. Um, I don't think a person could come from a different sport and be on their own. I needed to lean on people when I arrived. Um, yeah. But I do think football benefits from people from other sports, just like there's nice um, diversity in the FA with the conditioners they have there. And that's brought good success and a healthy environment and a team of people. Um, just like in, in the Arsenal Academy, we've people with lots of the people with football background, with people from athletics background, rugby, obviously, with body myself, um, and, and variation. And that brings, as I said before, the diversity, the ideas, uh, the suggestions, the open minds to other things. It's, it's important. Um, um, yeah, and but it, it can work. Like recently, I went over and did a project with India Cricket. And again, I've never played cricket in my life. Mm. But the principles are the same. The fundamentals uh, are the same. The development of those physical attributes are the same. Um, but just the dial of importance is, is turned up or turned down in certain areas. Yeah, no, that's great. Thank you for answering that. Um, we'll move on to some of the questions that we have at the end of every, every podcast. The first one being... Who are some of the biggest influences that you can pick out on your career so far? Yeah, definitely. That's easy because my three main mentors, Liam Hennessy, uh, there's a Stephen Abood who works with Italian rugby. He was a very coach mentor to me. His, his career is coaching and coach development. And then a John Tobin in Gaelic Games. He's a coach, a very experienced coach. So hence, I, I did lean towards coaches because our relationships with coaches, our understanding of how to support the coach is, is very important. And then uh, Paddy and Perry in, in Arsenal. Again, they're great sound boards, mentors to me. Um, and they're the type of people you want. They're not afraid to say to me if I'm not doing as well as I could. And the example would be, I was getting to the end of my time in Arsenal. And I might have been slacking a bit. Not, not bad, but Perry just looked at me one day and I went, ah, Sorry, Perry. And he didn't even need to say it. You're right. I was a bit slack in that meeting. Good point. And he was there. I didn't say it. Your luck said everything. Thank you. And, and so Paddy and Perry are a good mentor. And Paddy, we have great chats and really long and in-depth chats. 
And that's the, the type of person that, that influences you, as, as you've asked. And Colin Newen, uh, from the medical point of view, is a, is a great influence, mentor, sound and board. The advice he gave me over my years in Arsenal was invaluable because he really understood the, the Arsenal way, etc. So, yeah, they're, they're solid people that support me. Yeah, I've got to say as well, I think it, uh, Paul, was on Rob's podcast, Rob Pacey, and I mm. think it might have even been a two-parter. And it was one of, yeah. I took loads from listening to that one. It was, it was absolutely packed full of information. It was incredible. So if anyone's not listening to that, go and, go and search for it, give it a listen, definitely. Um, he's, he's, he's the best coach I know. And I know a lot of coaches. So that's mm-hmm. a difficult thing for me to say. But I can hands down just say to people, he's the best I know. He's, there was a, um, uh, an interview, Paddy was involved, that I was the interviewer. And we brought in a player, and there was some lumbar flexion when the player was squatting. And I thought, this would be tricky now. Adapt the lift, I thought, would be the way. But Paddy just took the player over, did a few exercises, brought him back in. He fixed it straight away in <laughs> literally three minutes. It was phenomenal coaching. So, yeah. yeah, top, top, top person there. Brilliant. And then the next one being, what would you say is your best strength as a practitioner? Yeah. Um, if I think back to when I was doing a lot of coaching, I loved doing fitness sessions on the pitch now it may be uh, through the game it may be an integrated with the coach it may be a top up at the end but I really loved pushing the players into that red zone having it properly planned and making a pitch session like a gym session where you're using the principle of gradually overload but you're, you're pushing them into the red and I do think that is a an area a skill that has regressed a little bit in the industry we're a little bit afraid to do it. Yeah. We're a little bit uh, focused on the monitoring and the readiness to train, which are super important, and the um, let's not push them too hard and they need to be ready for Saturday. Well, especially at Academy, Tuesday is football fitness day. Let's really push these guys. Let's yeah. do a tougher session than what we did. Let's see the players at the end of the session, hands on the knees, not able to talk, really pushed into that red zone. I don't think it happens enough. Uh, the guys, the guys uh, do it in, in the club where I am, um, where I was. Um, but walking around, looking at a few sessions, looking at a few sports, I just think it's drifted. And if done badly, of course, it can cause great harm and, and is not, not a good thing. But if done well and done with a coach, the buzz after a session, the, the enjoyment with the players, um, the memories in the players, when they even when they were tired, when they think back to those tough sessions that they did, is invaluable. So I I really liked doing those. Um, I really got a buzz out of them. I really saw great progress. And and when I when I worked in the sport of Gaelic games, they're phenomenal athletes. Really high skill sport as well. But they really really push themselves. And yeah, it's it's a great buzz um, doing that type of session. And that that was what I would look on as my strength when I was doing a lot of coaching. Real. And then the next one that I like to ask, because I think it gives people a bit directive on where um, your sort of education is or, or where they maybe can focus their, their education as well, is around CPD. So mm. are there any courses that you've seen done recently that you'd sort of um, draw people's attention to or possibly even some of the work that's going to be either available at Satanta or coming up at Satanta as well? Yeah, I, I won't push too hard, now, but <laughs> I, I'll, I'll give two examples um, with some contribution from myself, but mainly um, 
the team at Satanta, um, there's a youth athletic development uh, certificate. So not too long of a course, really focused on developing a young player, um, touches on the, the papers, the frameworks, the models that I spoke about before, um, and even areas that, that I don't think is covered that well, like uh, rudimentary and reflexive movement patterns, even before you do the fundamental movement skills. Um, so yeah, that course, I'd, I'd highly recommend it. But the CPD that I've done myself recently, it comes in many different ways. And I'm, I'm on the, the Gaelic Games Sports Science Working Group. And um, that's a group of people getting together, coming up with uh, advice for, for the GA, um, the, the, the Camogie and the ladies football, um, Gaelic football. Um, and just spending time with that group, uh, the experience that's in the group, the ideas that they have. Yeah, we're working on a project and we're giving advice, but I'm learning and I'm picking up things of all these different people like Niall Moyna, uh, Aidan O'Connell, Brian Cullen, um, Cahill Craig, um, Aoife Lane. They're, they're some of the, the top people in Ireland to do with that sport. And yeah, getting into a room with people like that, there's so much to be gained from it and there's a lot of learning from it. And then just finally, Des, I just wanted to ask, that we normally ask about attributes for coaches and players. So what do you think are some of the most important attributes for a coach to be successful or effective with the players? Yeah, um, there is the, the standards in the Arsenal Academy and they, they do fit quite well discipline, humility, and respect. And no matter what scenario you can think of, they usually help things be successful. Like if it's a, a coach, like a head coach of a team, um, respect. So having respect for the player, having respect for the support team, um, humility. Like in my role, I, I, I should never tell a physio what to do. It, it, it's their expertise, technically. I should guide in, in how people work together, for sure, and how we all work together to create uh, something. But with a, with a player, uh, respect is very important too, because they're so clever. Even these teenagers, they know exactly what's going on. And you got to give them respect. You can't just talk at them. And there's a, a bit at 13, 14, 15, there needs to be a bit of a, a, a discipline and repercussions and need to learn how to be uh, a player and in an environment and keep the gym tidy. And no, you, you do it in a, in a respectful way, but still they need to be respectful. So, but as they get to 16, 17, 18, it's more of listening. Yeah. And again, humility creates that listening. And when a player thinks you're listening to them, it does make a big difference. Um, and what I, I drove in the club very first. Now, this is a long time ago when I arrived in football players have have a tough time it's changed lately the last three or four years but coaches were fairly firm with them their parents were fairly firm with them agents were fairly pushing them um, and there wasn't many arms around the shoulders metaphorically so i saw that i wanted the relationship to be strong between the sports science and medicine and the players there wasn't a great history of sports science and sports medicine at the at the academy back then to the level I would like it. And so Mullinogogoschukishi um, was the phrase I use. It's it's painted in the Arsenal gym and everything, a bit Irish there now, thank God. Um, and that means praise you and they will flourish. 
So you praise them when they deserve it now. It's not just free flow. But you could see the shoulders opening up when a conditioner or a physio said, wow, you lifted 10 kgs more than last week. That's serious improvement. Well done. And that pulls people together. Um, so having that attribute of, of humility, um, listening, praising when it's deserved, uh, respect, driving that respect with the younger age groups about discipline and teaching them how to be a professional and how to how to act in a sports team. Um, and um, uh, yeah, uh, discipline, humility, respect, I think work well in, in a lot of different scenarios. Player coach, coach, support team, support team, uh, head coach. Uh, once you think about those things and you apply them to your actions and your language and your um, behaviour, it, it, it helps. And then just finally, taking into account some of these players that you've um, worked with across the years that have gone on to first team and been successful in their careers um, so far, is there anything that stands out in terms of a common attribute across those players? Um, well, just by, by nature with my position, um, I would have been working closely with the conditioners, physios, sports scientists, nutrit- nutritionists, and to an extent, the players. And to be honest, the last six months, uh, because of lockdown, I spent a lot of time with the players, to be honest, a lot of coaching. But trends, uh, yeah, again, I wouldn't say there is one. If, if I remember back to my adult time, working with some high-level Irish rugby players, uh, albeit briefly with Brian O'Driscoll, Paul O'Connell, mm-hmm. you'd be going to the session with a little bit of fear, fear that if you did something wrong, if you didn't have something ready, if you didn't have something right, they'd let you know all about it. Yeah. And but that's their their competitiveness, that's their seniority, that's their that's why they got to where they got to. But then at the same time, there'd be other players like Jerry Flannery, like David Wallace, who wouldn't do that and mm-hmm. would have great fun in the session, and you'd have long chats and have a laugh and have the crack. And completely different personalities to the other two players, but reach similar heights as the other players. So I'm continually looking at it and trying to find that trend. And what I'm quite happy with is there's no major trend. And that means all players have an opportunity of making it. Um, and they don't have to tick a box. And I think there's a bit of selective memories when you talk to people in academies, especially across sports. Oh, it's the disciplined boys that make it. The diligent boys, the boys that do extra. No, I've yeah. seen the opposite make it as well. Um, no, they have to reach a certain level as they mature, as they get older. Like there's there's one player, um, uh, I won't name him, but he's doing really well in the Premier League and players develop at different stages, uh, at different rates in maturity, in, in psychological maturity, and this player was a late developer in that regard. So when he was about 14, 15, there was one stage I saw him doing a, a side elbow hold and he had a pocket here and he used to take a pod. He tells the story brilliantly now. He used to take a sweet out and he was eating the sweet <laughs> as he was doing the, the, the side plank. And um, the other players would have been more mature than him in, in, at that time. And he wouldn't have done it more for a laugh with other players than his actual need to have a sweet. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the same player, he used to sit behind the subs in, in the Emirates. And he was on the fringes of the first team. And I, I, I was behind him. And I took a sneaky picture. It's probably against the rules now, GDPR. And he was sucking a big coke. <laughs> and he had his, had his sweeties as well there. And at that stage, he was about 
17. Yeah. Um, so you wouldn't think that sort of behavior would make it to a very high level, but he did. And he did get those things out of his um, behavior and he matured. But different players mature at different rates. And to be other, the, a lot of the players that made it um, would be very mannerly uh, that have gone up. A lot of the players would be very diligent. A lot of players would have put in a good bit of work, especially in athletic development. Um, so, yeah, that's a trend. But still, there's the outliers and there's the others that make it that, that aren't the perfect uh, boy. Um, and sometimes you need a bit of a, a rogue. You need a bit of dog in you, as they say in, in Munster rugby. So, thankfully, the, the door is open to many and we haven't turned it into an exact science to, to have the same types of personalities go through. So there, there are some of the trends, but a really definite one from memory is some of the top performers at adult level as a support person you were on your toes yeah. they made you have even a little bit of fear going into your session and yeah that's that was a bit of a trend as well uh, but they were usually turned out to be the leaders the captains the um the people that that stood up when it was needed to in in, in the, the high level matches brilliant Des, this has been super, mate. I knew it would be. Um, loads of incredible stuff in there. I really appreciate you giving up your time. Um, and I know it's a, it's a busy time as well with the move and everything, so extra um, extra appreciation for, for you giving it up at the moment. But in and, and thank you too, Ben, because um, something like this is hugely important for the community. And um, it's important that we as a community support it. So it's a valuable resource for, for people out there. So fair play to you, the likes of you, the likes of Rob Pacey. To, to, it's a lot of work you put in, so it's, it's valuable for the whole community. So thank you. No, thank you. Mate. And then in terms of people keeping up to date with your work and possibly the, the work that's going on at Satanta as well, where would you direct people? Where would you tell them to uh, go to on Twitter or where's the best place? Yeah, I'm... I'm I'm not the, the smartest man on Twitter because I, I put my Irish name uh, as my, my name on Twitter, whatever it's called. So Jason Oreen is there. I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Des Ryan. Um, I'm obviously starting in my position with Satanta. They're quite active on social media and I guess I'll have to get on that ship and, and do that. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, so yeah, yeah. LinkedIn, easy get me. If you can figure out how my name is in Irish, you'll find me on Twitter um, and any to any of the Satanta College social media um, options. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for coming on, mate. And just stay on the line a second while I just um, wrap up with you. But yeah, really appreciate your time. Sound. Thank you for listening to the podcast and a special thank you for Des for giving up his time. Anyone that's moved house, knows the stress that goes into it, um, not only moving house, but obviously moving countries as well. Um, I really appreciate him giving up his time. He was he was very kind with his time, especially in such a stressful period um, for himself. So I really appreciate it. You can go and give Des a follow. He's on Twitter. If you search at D-E-A-S-U-N-N-N-O, you'll find him. But you can also keep up to with all the work that's going to be going on with Satanta College as well. So just search for Satanta over on Twitter and you can keep up with everything that's going on there. Um, takeaways for me. Load. So early on, he spoke about having a good mentor in terms of Liam Hennessy. Um, he spoke about 
that where it used to be, uh, the, the sort of old way that coaches progressed was that non, uh, was sorry, a linear career pattern where people went from academy to maybe a 23s role into a first team and talked about it. It's not so much, it's, it's not so linear anymore and people um, have got to decide which sort of ages they want to work with and the sort of reasons why behind that as well. I know he, he sort of said tongue-in-cheek that first team's easy, but the point behind that was that at academy level, you're dealing with numbers, a number of different players, a number of different coaches and across a number of different ages. So there's a lot more... Um, in terms of complexity that goes into dealing with academy players, not just the one squad. And then we spoke about building a cohesive team. So hiring and building a cohesive team. And some of the main points that I took from it, he spoke about choosing projects wisely. So when people are going into a role, possibly putting a name forward for an interview, Making sure you're choosing projects wisely, not, not just getting attracted to a club, but actually looking behind what the project involves. Creating a diverse group, which he spoke about, and the importance of diversity, but also the importance of diversity from different sports, different backgrounds. Um, he spoke about how he talked about his team. So them being a team, not his staff. And I actually, I was trying to think when he spoke about this in the podcast, I actually listened to a business podcast recently and someone was talking about this and I'm going to have to try and find it because it was a a big business leader and they were talking about that they don't talk about their staff, they talk about the team and it's all around and built around the team. Um, The opportunity to develop, so making sure, again, knowing individuals, knowing what they're trying to work to within their careers creating together so not necessarily one person making a decision everyone's in it together they all sort of pulling in the same direction and then audit and reviewing everything so constantly reflecting on what's gone well what's not got and gone not so well and then um, reviewing on that and seeing what changes need to be made to uh, progress forward and then just the final thing was people being afraid to push players he spoke about Tuesdays being their football fitness day and really wanting players to, to work hard. Obviously, anyone that's been involved in any sort of session like that knows that players come together. It's very much a team feel when everyone's being pushed. Um, but yeah, there's a lot that can come from that. And I suppose some people in certain situations can be quite afraid to do that, but it is very important as well. So they were takeaways that I that I jotted down throughout the podcast, but I'd love to hear what you took away from it. I'm sure there's plenty from this one, so please get in touch and let me know. Drop us a you can drop us a DM on Twitter, Instagram, or email us mail at footballfitfed.com, or just share it. Give it a repost. I'd really appreciate anyone that reposts the podcast on Twitter or Instagram, and just on that repost, just put on a few of the key takeaways because it might just capture other coaches or other practitioners' attention if you mention something that they want to to read about or learn about. So I really appreciate everyone that's done that so far and everyone's support. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I'll speak to you again next week in episode 140.